Blog Talk Radio. Trendlebed Tales, the podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder, historic foodways, one-room schools, and other social history. This is Sarah Utah, the host and creator of Trendlebed Tales. Find us around the web under Trendlebed Tales and on your favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account on iTunes, please leave positive feedback because that helps other people find the show. This is episode 92, Laura Ingalls Wilder and the Butter Cow at the Iowa State Fair. And this is, I'm really excited about because uh, we're doing something in celebration of Laura's 150th birthday. And it includes the Butter Cow, which is one of the best things about the Iowa State Fair. So we're mixing Laura and food history and general social history. So I'm really excited about today's episode and I hope you enjoy it. But... First, just a little housekeeping. And uh, that is the time in the program where we uh, remind you of various things coming up. The main thing is that we want to know that you can be a part of our show. So call in at 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253. And toll-free, 1-877-633-9389. That's toll-free, 1-877-633-9389. You can also stream along on the Blog Talk Radio website. And I'm sorry, I try and have the chat room going, but it didn't, uh, Flash is not playing nice today, and so I don't have the chat room going, but you can always reach out to me on the Trendlebed Tales Facebook account if you have anything that you want to say. I also want to remind you that uh, we are going to have one more program scheduled this month in person. And that is going to be at the Marshalltown Public Library in Marshalltown, Iowa, on Saturday, April 19th at 2 o'clock. So we hope we'll see you there. And we should have a Travel Times episode coming your way between now and then. And without further ado, I think that rounds up our housekeeping. And with that, I would like to bring on today's guest, who is Sarah Pratt, the genuine butter artist of the Iowa State Fair. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Well, I'm so glad that you could come on. I've been really looking forward to this. Why don't you start out telling us just a little bit about yourself? Well, I live in West Des Moines, Iowa with my family. My husband, Andy, and I have twin girls who are 13 and a five-year-old little boy. I am a school teacher. I've taught special education for grades kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade in my career. 
and currently am staying home with my youngest and focusing on my butter sculpting career, which is kind of a fun new twist for me. Well, now that you mentioned that, for those out there who are not from Iowa or an, or an Iowan has never been to the state fair, can you believe that? I actually run into people and they say, I've never been to the state fair. What is wrong with them? <laughs> but for those people who are out there or people who live beyond the borders of the state of Iowa, what is a butter cow? Well, a butter cow is like pretty much like it sounds, a cow sculpted out of 100% butter. Now, I say that it's 100% butter because it's pure, amazing, salted, delicious when it's new, butter, but it is built on an armature. So it's much like a clay sculpture in that respect. And it's been at our Iowa State Fair for over 100 years now. So how did butter cows get started? Well, I was asked that question so many times, and so I did some research, and I found an author by the name of Pamela Simpson, and she wrote a book called Corn Palaces and Butter Queens. And in one of her chapters, she addresses um, not only butter sculptures, but also food sculptures and the tradition behind food sculptures. And she basically says that in the early 19th century, um, farmers, producers, agriculturists were trying to get more people to come to the Midwest and promote the breadbasket of our nation, if you will. And so the message was intended to be, we have so much corn, for example, we can build a palace. We have so much butter, we can build these statues. And so it really started as a promotional piece to um, advertise for whatever commodity it might have been, and in this case, butter. Now, I hadn't heard of that book before, and I'm going to have to look for it. It's called Corn Palaces and Butter Queens? Yes, by Pamela Simpson. Okay. Well, I will definitely have to look into that, because I just just really love that whole corn palace phenomenon. I mean, it was just such an amazingly cool thing. Uh, But butter cows must have come to it pretty late because for a butter cow to kind of work, you need a refrigerator. Right. So originally, before there would have been large-scale refrigerated butter cows, there would have been um, like a metal pie tin, if you will. And it would have also had to have been during a time where they could have saved ice. Um, But they would have put ice in a metal pie tin and then put another pipe in and done more of like a relief sculpture. And so that's how they would have kept small pieces cool. Hmm. I was assuming it started with refrigeration. That's kind of cool. I like, you know, the story of ice is so interesting too, but I'm getting off track here. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, butter cow is a big part of the Iowa State Fair. I mean, we have, uh, we've made, T-shirts in the past, people stand in lines forever. Um, there's just all sorts of, th- oh, there's an official Twitter account for the uh, Iowa State Fair Better account. Just, I, I didn't put this on my questions, but are, are you involved in that Twitter account at all? I am not. It is solely oh. the cow. She is, is solely completely in charge of that. <laughs> well, that is it's actually the Iowa State Farm Marketing Department that does that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's right. Well, it's it's a it's a cool account anyway. I always like to look at it. But um, so we really associate with uh, the butter cow. It's sort of our touchstone. But is the Iowa State Fair the only fair that has one? 
No, there are actually a handful of fairs that have different traditions centering around butter sculpture. Um, I can only think of three that really have held on to the cow image as their icon, but there's several others that do butter sculpture, and every fair has their own flair for it. And I really thought it was kind of interesting. I went around and looked at some pictures from the different fairs, and uh, it seemed like a lot of them would have a cow. And um, it's just such an, an interesting thing. But how did you get involved with carving better? I mean, I don't think it's something that, you know, like comes up in art school in the, or in uh, <laughs> elementary classrooms. No. Now that I mix my elementary teaching career with my butter sculpting, I do go and teach elementary kids sculpting butter, but I never experienced that growing up, so it's kind of a new thing I'm trying to put out there. But my career kind of started by chance, actually. I was 14, and I was a 4-H club member in my hometown of Toledo, Iowa, and a good friend of mine invited me to come stay with her family while they showed their dairy cows at the Iowa State Fair. And she promised that we could sleep on bales of hay and in the barn. And I thought that sounded like amazing fun. So I signed up to join her family and do that and um, brought all my work clothes and a good attitude. But it wasn't quite enough because I was not um, as much help as I really thought I might be. And so quickly it became evident that my... Uh, my town city girl skills were not as helpful as as I hoped, and I got sent to her great aunt's um, butter cooler. His, uh, my friend's name was Carrie Lyon. Her great aunt was Norma Duffy Lyon, who I knew from town as Norma. Um, she helped out with 4-H, and we went to the same church, but I never really knew her in the, in the state fair sense. I knew the cow was there. I knew she did it, but I never had been behind the scenes, so... I was sent up there to soften butter, and um, I must have done something right because she invited me back, and that started a 14-year apprenticeship, and eventually she handed the reins over to me. And she was kind of a legend. She did it, uh, what, was it 40 years? Actually, she um, wrapped up her career at the Iowa State Fair after 46 butter cows. It was 45 years. They did a special honorary um, plaque for her in the year 2000. So there's a bit of confusion because there's a plaque at the Iowa State Fair that says Norma Duffy Lyon, Butter Cow Lady, to the, or 1960 to 2000. But she didn't retire that year. She kept on going until 2005, and I took over in 2006. So um, how does the carving process work? Well, um, in the case of the cow, we start with an armature. And the armature doesn't change a whole lot from year to year because it's just a stick figure. It's like the bones, if you will. Steel rods that go up the leg and just um, some wood that gives support to the, to the middle. And then we pack on um, using additive techniques, I guess, um, in sculpting terms. Um, packing on the butter just like you would clay until you get the general form and then sculpting down the detail from there. And um, that's pretty much the same for the, the um, in this case, Laura Ingalls Wilder. But the difference would be when the companion sculptures are designed, 
a lot more research goes into it because it's different every year and the armature needs to be built and designed and, and so forth. So who does build that frame? Well, it's kind of a hodgepodge. Um, I have had a welder um, commissioned to do some of the pieces, but as of late, I have used my brother, who's a mechanical engineer, to build some of them. He looked at the frames I was having done. He said, oh, you can do that with wood. And I thought, really? And he figured it all out and designed it. And my husband and my dad also do a lot of it. And I get right in the mix with that. Your brother's name wouldn't happen to be Robbie, would it? No, his name is John Doyle. John. That's my my maiden name. Doyle is my maiden name. No, no, I'm just laughing because uh, you, my first name's Sarah, too. And I have a brother oh. who is a mechanical engineer whose name is John no Joseph Robert. Yes. That is so guess, funny. We, we should, I guess we were meant to be friends here. We were meant to be friends. My, my, when I told my dad that I was doing an interview with a Sarah, he said, well, is it with an H? I said, yeah. He's like, oh, good. <laughs> not to say anything bad about Sarah with no H, because my brother married a Sarah as well, and she does not have one, and she's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. <laughs> well, it, it just looks like it has so much more balance, so I think the H is, is important, too. But, okay, so. didn't, didn't mean to <laughs> drag you off topic there. but <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so, so you have the frame and you have the butter, because you, you keep the butter from year to year, correct? Yes, absolutely, for two reasons. For one... I do not want to waste the butter by any means. Um, and two, it's easier to sculpt with. The more years you sculpt, the more of the, the liquid in the cream or the whey would, it squeezes out. So the, when we first year we get it, um, because we, from time to time we have to add 50 to 100 pounds into the mix. It's so crumbly and lots of water and whey jumping out of the butter. So it's easier and it's, better for conservation to just keep on using it well so you got the, the frame and you've got the butter how soon do you start working on the cow itself we're going to get to uh, Laura in a second but the cow itself okay. how soon do you start working on it the day after fair um, <laughs> <laughs> well throughout the year I've always one thing I do before I even get to the fairgrounds is I'm constantly watching dairy shows on YouTube first of all, to see what the latest trends are on the ideal butter cow, or not butter cow, but dairy cow in general, and what breed and that sort of thing. So I'm always doing research throughout the year and sketches. But the first day that I start sculpting. Let let me interrupt there for a second because I just want to clarify for the non-farm people that you probably think of, of breeds of cows as staying rather static, but that is not true. There are are uh, they're kind of long-term trends, but uh, for example, Herefords are when my mom showed 4-H Herefords, they were fairly short and squat and mm-hmm. beautiful and did nice meat. And when I was showing was unfortunately when the legless wonders were going that were you know sort of all leg and there wasn't <laughs> anything else. And now they're a little bit back to being shorter and not quite as as rotund as they were before. But you can really tell looking at pictures of showing cows over the years. She is actually, or Sarah here is, is absolutely 100% correct that the that you have to watch the trends in cows. They move slowly, but absolutely. they move. Yes, okay, very ahead. true, very true. 
Um, so the very first day I get in to put butter on is typically the last Monday, last uh, last full week of July, put it that way. So I leave myself um, three weeks, leaves me about three weeks to before the fair to get started with the actual butter. So um, you start about three weeks ahead. How long mm-hmm. does the actual process take? Do you finish before the fair starts? I do. I typically finish the cow before the fair opens. The companion sculpture just depends. There have been years where we get it done ahead of time, but usually the preference is um, to be sculpting during the fair and be able well, to do it as a demonstration. I will tell you, though, I I am of the old school. I like to have it done because it just was always so much more glamorous when you didn't know there was chicken wire under there. When, when I was a little kid, I, honest to God, thought you started with a block of butter and carved a cow out of it. You know, a lot of people do. And while there are some sculptures that you could do that with, a cow is not one of them because the legs just – I, when people are shocked by that, I try to say, okay, picture taking your bones out of your body. What would happen? Because our tissues are soft, just like butter is soft, and it would just so. Yeah. It you is, know, I so I like to have it. I like to have it a little bit done, so you can get the <laughs> essence of it, but see it working. But yes, and I understand at the state fair we're big on demonstrations. But like I said, it was it was kind of a crushing blow the first year I saw it. But I understand why. <laughs> so um, uh, before we uh, go on to Laura, just a couple things: what is it like inside the cooler? Because you have to work in a refrigerated area because butter melts. That's right. And especially, usually we have really warm weather in August in Iowa, so it's especially important. And it's 42 degrees in the cooler. I typically wear about three layers, um, starting with my jeans and then leggings and then kind of a snow pants kind of style pants because they're a little bit um, grease-proof, I guess, if you will, <laughs> butter-proof. Um, it's pretty cold. And there's also a wind chill because of the fans that are constantly blowing to circulate the cold air. So it, it can get quite cold in there. Do How long do you go at a piece? I mean, you have to go and take breaks to thaw out. Maximum three hours. Now, I started my daughters, who are 13, on their apprenticeship this year. They've helped in the past, but this is their first year full-fledged apprenticeship where they have their own sculptures to work on and things like that. And there are closer to an hour they start saying mom (laughs) I could kind of use a break (laughs) so it takes a while well tell them they're Iowa girls they have to be tough that's right okay now um, every year pretty much the Iowa Public Television which again non-Iowa people the Iowa Public Television does a um, well, it, they used to do it every night of the fair. Now it's it's about a week. They do specials about what happened at the fair that day, which you can all watch online, which you totally should because it's an amazing show. And I know it sounds stupid, but it is an amazing show. And almost every year they talk about the butter cow. And, and a lot of times they uh, interview – well, I've seen them interview you. I've seen them uh, interview uh, – 
Norma Duffy uh, Lyon for years. So mm-hmm. I remember she said she rotated through the dairy cattle breeds because there's, I think, six dairy cattle breeds. Is that right? Yes. She um, she married a dairy farmer, so she raised her family on a dairy farm, and she was very familiar with the breeds. And, um, of course, they had jerseys on their farm. So I don't know if she were here. I would think that she would tell you that Jersey was her favorite, but it's definitely my favorite. So I tend to do Jersey more than any other breed, but I have also done an Ayrshire and a Holstein. Well, uh, it's it's good to give the other breeds some some show. Like I said, we raise her, <laughs> we raise Herefords, and if I did sculptures, I definitely would not be doing Angus. So I can't blame you for that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's sort of the cow. So everybody out there who's interested in better cows, that's sort of what we're talking about. But they uh, have started at the Iowa State Fair and I think at the other fairs too instead of just having a cow standing there which as amazing as that is even if it is not as glamorous as when it's carved out of a big block of butter uh, they would have a companion statue or second statue of some kind Uh, when did they start doing that at the Iowa State Fair you know I haven't been able to find an exact date on when they um the official first one, but there's a timeline on the front of the cooler. And it does say 1925 companion sculpture, and there's an image there. Um, and so I I don't know if there was any before 1925, but there were certainly um, back that far. Um, but Norma always did a companion sculpture, and that tradition has continued on today. What are some of the favorite ones of those that you've done, either yourself or with Duffy, just so people get an idea of the kind of things that have shown up there? Uh, Let's see. One of the most memorable was Elvis, just because um, I just remember having so much fun with Norma that year. We just, we, it was a fun year. Maybe it was less stressful or she was just feeling really healthy, but I just remember having a lot of fun and giggling, and I have this great black and white picture of us working on his belt buckle, and we're just looking at each other and laughing because our hands are so cold. And um, So that, that image has stuck in my mind. Another favorite was um, Norman Rockwell, the county agent, and he, she took on this project. It's this whole painting that Norman Rockwell did and it was basically um, like a, a 4-H judge maybe coming to a farm, and it has a girl holding a cow, and it has um, chickens, and it has sheep, and it has, oh, my goodness, I don't know if it has a colt or not. I'm trying to picture. I should have pulled up the image. But we, she had five of her college girlfriends and me, all working in the cooler that whole week. And that was another time where we were just laughing and hearing great stories of their their college years, and it was just a great time. One of my favorites and my kids' favorites is when I did Harry Potter. They're huge Harry Potter fans. So that was a fun one for, for – they were tiny, tiny when I did it, but now they look back and they say, oh, Mom, that was so cool. Well, um, I Go ahead. I was going to say Snow White was another favorite because um, we just—it's a favorite movie of mine, and that was a that was a fun one to do too. 
Uh, and what is my favorite Disney princess movie? That would be Snow White. Ah! <laughs> in fact, in my blog post I did announcing you were doing Laura, I used my picture of Snow White from some of the fair. So I also love oh, George Washington cool. Carver. I'm also a big George Washington Carver fan. My mom even collects stuff on him. So I was really glad to see the year you did him. So they've just been some, some very interesting uh things over the years that show really the how you can get all sorts of things out of sculpting. So George Washington Carver was one of my favorite years too. And um, that year I took on double sculptures because I was doing Sean Johnson. It was the year of the Olympics. And I, and of course she was from Des Moines and I, that was a really exciting thing to sculpt, but I had come across a story about George Washington Carver and how he inspired so many others, um, and so I had this this vision in my head of what I wanted to do. So I ended up doing the cow in this whole George Washington Carver, Norman Borlaug montage, and Sean Johnson, and I was exhausted, but I I felt proud because I felt like that was my first year where I had the idea and advocated for my idea, and like just felt like you know kind of did my own thing. So. Well, those were were all great ones because we go we go pretty much every year. Um, so that kind of brings me up to the Laura part of it. So, how did you decide mm-hmm. to include Laura Ingalls Wilder as a companion sculptor this year? Well, I like no, not all, not always have has the sculpture been connected to Iowa, but I kind of prefer it to have some at least glimmer like some tie-in I think it's the teacher in me that likes that 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 Iowa tie-in since we're celebrating all things Iowa so throughout the year I just keep a Pinterest page and do research and searches of anything Iowa history related anniversaries that are coming up and um, kind of keep things on that page oh this might be a good one this year this might be a good one and so of course with Laura's birthday being celebrated this year um, I thought it would be a great year to do Laura Ingalls Wilder, and I don't know that. Uh, obviously, her fans that have read all of her um, autobiographies and other writings would know that she lives in Iowa. But some of the more casual fans that have mostly read her children's literature may not know that. So I felt like that was an important thing to kind of share, tell that story. Well, it is, and Laura. Um, I think probably anybody listening to this podcast would know already, but Laura does have three right. big contacts to Laura, uh, to Iowa. She and her family lived in Baroque, and uh, in fact, Grace was born here, so we can claim one of the angles is an Iowan. There was also Mary attended the School for the Blind in Vinton, and Laura's papers are at the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library. So I think we've That's got true. enough to Sort of a little bit a part of her anyway in Iowa. I think so, yes. Uh, are you a Laura Ingalls Wilder fan yourself? I am. I read her books growing up, and um, growing up, my kids, my daughters have read them, and now we're reading them with my son. And um, I grew up re- watching the show, and now my girls are watching the show on Netflix. I mean, that is so timeless that... Um, it, it still translates to something important now today, the stories and the um, 
in all the spinoffs, whether it was the show or other stories about her life. I feel like yes. I would have been a pioneer. Like I was, like I, in another life, I was a pioneer. I just, and, and so many of my ancestors lived that life. And so I feel like there's something connected, connected to that story when I read it. And so um, I just really enjoy it. So how long have you been working on uh, doing this Laura sculpture? We've, um, was, was it two weeks ago? I think the announcement came out, but uh, you've, I'm sure been working on it longer than that probably. Absolutely. So a couple of years ago is when the first time I pinned it on the page and kind of got the idea that Laura would be a good topic. And I don't even think her 150th birthday was necessarily on the forefront in my mind at that point. I hadn't done the math, but it just was on the someday to-do list. And so this year, I think it was the end of January, I was trying to be really on top of things and not let it go to the last minute. And so I started searching and my birthday's in February and her birthday's in February. So I don't know if that was like, oh, made me think, how old would she be? And I started to see that, oh, there's celebrations happening and there's people talking about this. And um, and so I thought, I think this is the year to do it. And so I started um, reading everything. In fact, I did read, before I even knew about your blog, I had come across it, obviously. Anytime you're searching uh, anything about Laura, your, your uh, blog's, come up so I was excited when you contacted me you like, I know that I've, I've read your your post so that was fun um, well thank thank you for saying so it's the one bad thing about being online is a lot of times you're you know kind of casting bread upon the waters you don't know if anybody's reading it <laughs> I mean to some extent I mean you see see statistics and hits and things like that but you know to have know that some real person is reading it it makes you feel good so yeah yeah I it was so funny because when you contacted me and you just said you had a blog I said what's it called thinking like I wonder if <laughs> so that was fun Yes, I am very glad it worked out. Uh, so you you read the blog, you did some searches, and I think you also said you had read uh, Pioneer Girl? I have. Now, I cannot say that I've read every single page, but I did read the forward. Um, I also watched a couple of, um, of Pamela Smith-Hill's uh, lectures online, just, you know, what brought her to the point of editing this piece of work. And then I have read um, the chapters before and after the Baroque to kind of get, you know, the feel for where their family was before and after. And I've reread the Baroque pages, and there aren't uh, many pages, but I've reread them and reread them, I don't know, probably 50 times. And I've just scoured over them. And I, I'm a little bit of a history addict. So I love how she's annotated the the other um, oh what am I trying to say what do they call them the other versions if you will of Pioneer Girl with the mm-hmm. historical facts of the actual people and how Laura remembered it as a ten year old versus how it probably really actually was as far as ages of people and that sort of thing and. Um, so I just I found it fascinating, and it's a it's a great book, and I loved being able to read it um, in Laura's own words. 
of her experience while she was here in Iowa. Well, you are going to love this then because um, the Pioneer Girl Project uh, with the South Dakota State Historical Society Press is continuing its efforts, and it's doing three companion books. The first one came out this April, but the next one is going to be all three of the complete versions of Pioneer Girl published side by side so you can see the variations uh, and how they were were written and where things were added and that kind of thing. So I thought oh, fun. You, you're probably going to want to get that one too, if that was what yeah. you liked. <laughs> uh, so well, and the cool uh, thing about, oh, go ahead. No, that's okay. Go ahead. I was just going to say that the amazing thing about um, that, well, okay, let me go and say this. When I was watching Pamela Smith-Hill, she had did a lecture for some college, and I watched it, and I was just so touched. And she was talking about how to write a biography and what are the important things about a biography. And she talked about how you have to find a unique angle and you have to make it personal. And so after watching her lecture, who was the editor of this book, I reread it again. And I, as I was thinking, how am I connected to Laura in this story, I started making a list and um, my parents owned a business in a small town and they, and I, at the young age of like three to the time I was 12, I lived, we lived above their, their pharmacy and it was a hundred year old building. And so the fact that Laura, while she was here in Iowa, lived above, you know, lived in the hotel and then above a grocery, I connected with that. And then we moved into a house and she moved into a house. Um, she struggled in school with math, and I did too. And it was just, um, especially multiplication tables. And I just, I felt so connected to her. So I felt um, uh, grateful to this, to the, uh, to Pamela Hill about, you know, just kind of opening my eyes to that. And I felt like I get to saw Laura in a whole new light. Well, that is really neat that you had that living above the store experience because, you know, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe it still is in in bigger towns. I don't know, but if, I don't think there's too many people anymore who live above the store, literally, uh, that they they run. Right. And I think that's that is really kind of too bad because it was really such a community connection. And it's neat that you got to hear, have that experience. Yes, absolutely. I remember it fondly. So um, what uh, I think think you also mentioned that you had uh, looked at the um, A Lovely Place letter that Laura wrote uh, about Baroque and uh, maybe you did some other digging. Did what, what else did you do? Well, I read lots of different books. And so remembering all of the different titles, I, um, I would be remiss to remember them all. Although I do have a stack still here that I need to return to the library. Um, but there was, was, this is actually from this, her same autobiography, Pioneer um, Girl. And there was this excerpt of the time that she lived um, in the in the little brick house outside of town. And she wrote, we had a cow again, and it was my happy task to take her to pasture in the morning and bring her back at night. And then a little farther down, she says, I love to wander in the creek and look at the flowers and wriggle my toes among the lush, cool grasses. I was such a great girl now that I wore shoes all day, but always went barefoot after the cow. 
And I love that because here I have this cow that I'm already sculpting. And um, and what pleasure she took in that task. And um, for, for somewhat of an unhappy time maybe or maybe not the happiest of times for her family became this, this summer of of delight for her. And so I, that's, that's the time that I'm focusing on in my sculpture. All right. Well, uh, what then... Uh, as we are waiting with bated breath, having none of us having seen it yet, what <laughs> is the sculpture of Laura look like? What age is she and what is she doing? Well, she is 10 years old in the sculpture and she is standing on one side of a little creek that goes through the pasture and she's hopping over onto a stone as she, you know, dawdles perhaps on the way to fetch the cow. In another entry, um, she talks about how oftentimes they, she, well, I think this part was she was referring to her time in Walnut Grove, and she and her cousins at the time would go after the cow, and they would dawdle along in the pasture. And then they'd have to run home to beat the cow because the cow had actually brought them home. <laughs> so their parents wouldn't catch them getting home after the cow. So I kind of picture her dawdling and playing in the creek, um, and um, I don't believe that Mary would have been in the pasture with her. I think Mary probably would have been back home with Ma, taking care of Carrie and baby Grace and doing tasks around the house. But I didn't want to leave her out because we because of her connection to Iowa, not only living in Burr Oak, but also having gone to school in Benton, I really wanted her to be a part of it. So um, I took a little bit of artist um uh, license. License, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. And included Mary in the sculpture. So she's sitting on the other side of the brook dutifully picking flowers and has her bonnet on and she's very primly collecting flowers while Laura's gallivanting through the pasture. Now, an important question is she does she have does Laura have her bonnet on? Oh no. Of course not. It is hanging on the her back. <laughs> and another important question, at 10 years old, is her hair in braids? It is in braids. It is. Although, you know, some might say that she would have gotten out of the sight of her mother and taken her braids out because it seems to be the, a bit of, I don't know, grumbling maybe in her tone when she talked about Ma always insisting on the braids every morning, brushing her hair and putting it in braids. Um, I picture her in braids, so she does have braids. And when you were working on her face, um, had where where did you kind of take inspiration from for that? Well, this is interesting because the only the only picture I could find of Laura, and I believe the earliest picture that is recorded, at least. Um, on record that I searched for was when she was 12. And, of course, in that picture, just, I mean, I think it's a pretty famous picture. She doesn't have braids. She's not smiling or playing, and she's wearing her fanciest clothes. And so I had a hard time, you know, picturing what she would have looked like as a younger girl. But I have a 10-year-old niece who was my model. So my family feels like Laura looks a bit like my niece Claire in the, in the sculpture. But, um, and I wouldn't disagree, but I do feel like 
um, Laura's still in there. Well, that's good. Did you try and uh, get a little Melissa Gilbert in there, or were you trying more for real-life Laura? I was really trying more for real-life Laura. I wasn't I, – I didn't study Melissa Gilbert, although – when I looked at the pictures of Melissa Gilbert in an or in, in an older Laura, um, the pictures of her when she was I don't know if she would have been a, um, maybe in her older teens with the, she had her hair up in the picture I'm thinking of, and she cut her bangs and had them curled tightly, um, and I can't remember how old she was when she did that. That would date that picture. But when I looked at Melissa Gilbert and I looked at Laura, I could see that there would be some resemblance between the two. But they there were they weren't completely different faces. But I wasn't um trying for Melissa Gilbert at all. Well, I think you got all three of the important questions right then. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I passed. <laughs> Now, is is Laura done yet? You said you like to do a little demonstration, and this is the first day of the fair. So, is she done, or is she still in progress? She, you know, many people who walk by today assumed she was done. Her face is pretty well done. Her braids are in place. Her bonnet is there. Although a crafty viewer would notice, she does not have anything tying her bonnet around her neck. It is magically suspended on her back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she does have pockets in her apron, but they're empty right now. So she will, during the fair, have little something hanging out of her pocket. She will have her ribbon coming around that would be holding her bonnet around her neck. And let's see, there's a lot of polishing and detail work that I'll do. She doesn't have any buttons on the back of her apron right now, but she will eventually. Um, so little details. And Mary is just pretty much the same way. A lot of people assumed I was done. Um, the other thing is there's no there's no water in the creek yet. So people are kind of confused. Like, what is that dead space in the middle? But I need to be able to walk back and forth. So eventually when I'm done completely fiddling and doing all the, the fun details, I'll put a little babbling brook down the middle. So, so I think that hopefully it will please the people like yourself who like to see it done but still be able to add stuff to it. So the um, drought that's been hitting the Midwest has come to the the refrigerator (laughs) case. Absolutely. So um, you've got, um, or is this this year going to have any um, movement to the companion piece? Because a lot of times uh, you do, though not always. Yes, they are turning, although when I'm working, they will be stationary. So if someone would happen to walk by the case and um, I'm in there working, usually Laura and Mary will be stationary in some version of their spin. But if, like right now, I happen to be at home, I'm going to have dinner with my family here after a while, and so if they happen to walk by the cooler right now, they would see it spinning. So... um, when it's all complete, it will be spinning. And I like that. I like doing the spinning if there's something to see, um, if I can uh, create, if it adds to the viewing, but I don't want to use the spinning just for the sake of it spinning. Does that make sense? Yes. You you want to add motion, but only if it makes right. sense. 
And so in this case, she's she's jumping, she's going through the pasture, she's fetching the cow, and so the the movement adds to that experience. I feel. Now, here is one more important question: Is she going to be done by the fifteenth? Because that's when I'm going to be there. <laughs> what day is the fifteenth? Uh, I feel like I don't even know what today is. Um, yes, it's uh, that she should be done by the fifteenth. Yes. Now I have a deadline. (laughs) And we always go first thing in the morning. We walk through the the um, avenue of reeds, and then we come right to the butter cow. So I'm scheduled to work on the fifteenth. So I'm working. So um, for your listeners, if they're coming to the fair, I did demonstrations all day today, and I'll be out there again tomorrow. I'll be out there Saturday, and then Monday and Tuesday. So I'll be there. But what I have in mind when I'm done with Laura and Mary and I'm done with the babbling brook is I'll sit in a, a far spot in a little window at the end, back of the cow. Um, and I will be sculpting little animals. So um, that's one of the projects my little apprentices, Hannah and Grace are going to be designing um, a squirrel and a bunny. And they're going to go for the whole process, sketching it, building an armature, um, sculpting it. And so People can see that demonstration, but they'll see the sculpture done. And then when they're done with their little animals, they'll be placed into the sculpture. So I think when you come to see it, it should be done. Well, you might see us down there working on our little bunnies. Well, I will have to knock on the case if I do. <laughs> Please do. That would be great. Now, if um, it, one of the hard things about the life of loving affair is that it's finite. So this is going to get done. What is Laura going to appear anywhere else or is when the fair closes the end for her? That's the end. And um, one of the things I taught, we, we, we did artful learning strategies in my elementary school. And so we learned about ephemeral arts like butter sculptures and snowmen and ice sculptures. And they are only temporary, alas. So she will not survive on. But one thing that we do when I teach my classes on butter sculpting is we talk about recorded history. And we can record music and we can videotape the ballet and we can take pictures of sculpture. So pictures will live on. But the sculptures get torn down and we reuse that butter from year to year. And um, yeah, that's the hard part. Luckily, I have some family members that come and help me do that so I don't have to be the one to tear them all apart. That would be hard. And and I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the um, uh, butter, after you use it a few years, I think has kind of a definitive odor. So uh, you might be yeah. glad not to be in the case anymore just for that alone. <laughs> yes. Um, I take about two showers a day, and then my family will hug me and love me. <laughs> but it, it does. But I think the... Um, the, like you said, the odor is uh, is temporary. So, and I like to tell people, think blue cheese. If you think aged cheese, um, when you go in and you're expecting butter, you're it's maybe a little bit off-putting. But if you think aged cheese, you're expecting it. So it's like, oh, no problem. <laughs> Well, that that is a, a good picture, I think. I think that would help people get it. Not sweet, creamy butter, but blue cheese. Um, blue cheese. Think blue cheese. 
which is another Iowa product, Maytag blue cheese. It's Absolutely. just you can't get away from it. Uh, now, uh, if people can't get to the fair, because there are a lot of people who live in states outside of Iowa and sadly will not be making the journey to Iowa State Fair, even though you should, if you live outside of Iowa, even come to the fair. It's the best fair in the country. Texas argues sometimes, but they're the only ones. Everybody else, <laughs> Iowa, Texas, way above everybody else. And they're not at the same time, so do both, right? That's not true. You could, you could do both. You could you could really mess your golf up eating all the stuff in the midways at both fairs because they kind of <laughs> compete to have what's left. But anyway, um, so uh, people can't get to the fair. Uh, at what is the best way can they, that they can see uh, the, the Laura sculpture? Are they going to uh, be pictures going out i'm sure well i guess i don't know for sure but i'm assuming iowa public television will be doing a story on you again but what is the the best way for people to get that picture well the iowa public television was just there this morning and they told me that it will air on wednesday evening in their fair recap piece i believe it's nine or ten o'clock i'm not sure when they do their fair recap but you could go to their website and it would direct you to the, the schedule of when that would air. Um, you can go to the State Fair website. They have um, an official State Fair photographer who posts um, all of the pictures he takes of everything at the fair. And you can click on um, their website, go to, um, I'm not sure what the tab is off my head, but you can go to photos, and then you can click all, back many, many years, in fact, and um, he has them posted by day. So depending on which day he took the photograph, you might have to do a little digging. Um, but he does, on his own website, sell the photograph. So if you went to, his name is Steve Pope Photography. And um, so you can view them on the State Fair website and purchase them after the fair from his website if you would like one of his fair photographs. Well, I may have to do that this year. That is good to know. I did not know there was an official yeah. fair. See, see, that's the great thing about the fair people. You can go and your whole life, and every single year there will be something new to find out or to do. There seriously <laughs> is. Right. Um, and so, it is on the list of 100 things to do before you die. is to go to the Iowa State Fair and see the butter cow. So all those um, people who think they don't need to go to the fair, they do. It is very important. <laughs> Well, it really, and I'm sure this sounds to like New Yorkers as absolutely crazy, but we're right. <laughs> it is something you need to do. <laughs> if you haven't done it, you have no idea. And I think a lot of people think about fairs and they think about agriculture, and I think that they'll be surprised to to experience everything from technology to culture to food to music, um, from modern to historical, it's really about celebrating Iowa, past and present. So it's not just for agriculture, but it is um, definitely celebrating agriculture, but it's encompassing all of those things. Well, there's really so many different parts of the fair. You know, there's uh, everything like the um, all the games they do up at Pioneer Hall and all the handouts and sa selling things down at the varied industries building 
And there's, you know, the DNR building, which is worth it. Even if you're just going to the other side of the fairgrounds for something, it's worth it to walk all the way across them to get to the DNR building and look at it because it's just the most pretty building. Well, in fact, most of the buildings, again, for, for people who haven't been to the fair, uh, a lot of the buildings are from 19, between 1910 to 1920s. So you, they have a lot of the tile work that was big then, and they are just beautifully done. We're not talking about little, you know, plywood shacks nailed together. These are brick buildings with tiling and sculpture and it's just they're incredible just walking around the fair is cool but the dnr one i think is the best um that's always my favorite building there but now i got all trained off and what i was going to try and say was <laughs> that people people uh that there's all these different things going on no matter what you're interested in you are going to find something about it going on in the fair and i mean even even taking the ride that's the little um, uh, tram that goes through the um, campgrounds is worth it because you just see all yes. the things people have have set up and done. I mean, there there is no end of things to do with the Iowa State Fair, but you always have to do the better count. Yes, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> So just just as a, a, another question that I should probably have asked earlier, but it was at the end of my list down here because actually somebody asked me after I had gotten the whole list together and I went, oh, that's a good question. So, so how do you get the butter off the frame afterwards? Do you, do you like shut off the refrigerator and let it melt? I imagine you have to do some scraping, but uh, what, how do you undo the process? We do um, turn down the coolers for a short time until it's soft. We don't want it to melt all the way, but until it's soft. And then my uncle, uh, Mike, created these amazing scraper tools, and they do just a fantastic job, which has cut the job time in half of what it used to take all day. They get it done in a pretty short hour, uh, or short figuratively hour, uh, about a half a day. They are able to scrape it off and pack it into the bucket. So... Yeah, just real, real. They made a quite of a little project of it. Where do the Where do you store the butter? Does the fair store it, or do you have a very smelly freezer in your house? <laughs> um, it goes to a local locker, so it gets picked up in a big refrigerated truck and hauled out to the locker and stored out there until the fair has it delivered again. Now, again, from non-Iowa, well, non-small town people, uh, she means a meat locker, which is a place <laughs> where they uh, butcher cows and pigs and, and deer and that kind of thing. And then traditionally, it, it doesn't quite happen as much as it used to anymore, but they would have, you would have an actual refrigerated locker there instead of having a freezer in your house and you keep the meat and whatever in All it. right. Yeah, and so. so I think this place does a lot of different cold storage. So, um, yeah, they would store meat or anything else you needed to freeze, and you just kind of like a storage facility. If you were moving and you needed to put all the contents of your apartment into a storage facility and you would rent it by the month, same deal. It's just refrigerated instead. Okay. Well, huh. Well, remember I told you when we were setting this up that uh, people said an hour went fast. We have four <laughs> minutes 
we have four minutes left. A little less wow. than four now. Uh, so, see, people, people, whenever I, I get them to come on, they almost always say, oh, I can't talk an hour. And then, you know, we don't usually get done because it's just, there's so much <laughs> to talk about. But uh, since we do have just a few minutes left, and this is the first day of fair, and um, in fact, if you go, as soon as the fair ends, if you go to the fair website, they have a countdown clock to tell you exactly how many hours uh, it is until fair starts again. Uh, and uh, since you spent the, I'm assuming you got to spend at least, or you said you were there today because you were you were working on the, the carving. Did you get to do anything else? Was there anything great that we should know that went on at the fair today? You know, I spent most of my time in the butter cooler, but I did sneak out and had an Aunt Mary's guinea grinder for lunch, which was absolutely delicious. And Bill O'Reilly's talent show kicked off while I sat down on their really warm metal bleachers and caught the first of the talent, the sprout talent show. And my mom and dad kept texting me all the great things that they were doing at the fair. They Um, went to the cultural building and one of the displays that they have in the uh, main lobby there is a completely wrap around panoramic picture of last year's fair and it wraps around the entire room and somehow he's pieced this all together the artist and somehow I don't it blows my mind has all the people that he took pictures of um, came and signed it. So I'm excited huh. to go see what that's all about. But it's their new display. Um, and also, apparently, there were some sort of Transformer-like little cars that were driving around. And my son loves Transformers. So they were driving around and transforming and all this stuff. And so we're excited to go back. We're going out tomorrow. Um, I'll be out working in the morning, and then my husband's going to bring the kids out in the afternoon, and we're going to really go explore instead of being up in my cold little cooler. Well, I, I used to work at Usher's Fair Historic Village, and I always said the bad part about working there is that when you were uh, when they had an event, you were really tied down because you had to do something, and you didn't get to go out and look and see all the other cool stuff they were doing. So it sounds like the better cat was like that, too. A little bit. The other thing I'm looking forward to, in the agriculture building, the Farm Her exhibit is there, and it's featuring women in agriculture, and they're going to have some sort of presentation, and so I'm really excited. I have aspirations in my next life to um, have a little farm, so um, looking forward to learning about other women in farming. Well, and the two things that are, besides the agriculture building that I always want to do when I'm at at that end of the fair, is they have um, Dutch letters on a stick behind Pioneer Hall, Mm -hmm. which is one of only three places I know in the state of Iowa that has good Dutch letters. So they are worth walking up behind Pioneer Hall to get it. I think they come straight from Pella. I think, I believe that those... I'm not sure. No. I'm not, I, not actually, 100%, but I think they do. Actually, I thought so, too, but I asked oh. last year, and they actually, there's a guy in Des Moines who makes them, and he has a really? store, and I haven't been to his store, but they're good, and I mean, they're... I'm going to have to track um, him down. Yeah, because they're, they, you know, 
Dutch letters at little grocery stores, they have them, but, but they're, they're garbage. You don't want those. You want the ones from Pella. I mean, it's so much better. Uh, and I also then like to go to the ice cream um, soda fountain place. And uh, in fact, I would love to be at the fair every day because I would go there every day and get something different because they have so many <laughs> cool things. But, and, and we are completely out of time. So thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on. Uh, I'm going to be sharing around welcome. the link. And everybody ought to share it around because I think this was a great episode. And everybody needs to come to the fair. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. And with that, I want to remind everybody to brighten the corner where you are. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.